Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be doing the second part of our Road to Residency series. This episode is going to be focused on the forecast application process. We're going to get you really situated on all the different parts of the application itself, kind of go over the timeline, and then also go over some tidbits and some tips that can really help you be successful in preparing for your application and in making sure the product you turn in is complete and a good reflection of yourself as a candidate. I'm joined today with Joven Lazo. Joven, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Sean. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Excited to start this residency. You know, it's uh, crazy to think that's uh, what, next week for us. Yeah, yeah, next week. That's kind of crazy to, to think about. But, um, you know, a lot of hard work the past four years to get to this point. So I think we're, we'll be ready for it. And we're excited to provide some advice that was given to us, to all of our listeners to kind of help them on their path to, to matching. So to start off, like Sean said, we'll be going over the forecast application process, kind of the content within that. So the first thing we want to mention is of course the time frame. So the forecast application will not open until November, probably the first week of November for our class, it, for the class of 2021, it was November 3rd. Um, so each year can be different. But we actually recommend starting early and around September, October um, to help be prepared before November comes around. So some of the contents within that application will be having your CV, having a having at least three letter of recommendations. Usually it's recommended to be um, two from a preceptor or somebody that can kind of attest to your work ethic and then another one from someone from academia. So maybe a teacher or maybe the dean or someone you, you kind of work with in the academic setting. That's usually what's recommended, but um, depending on each site, it can be a bit different. So you always want to make sure to see what type of letter recommendations they want. And then also um, a letter of intent, of course, for, that, for the sites that you'll be applying to. And there's some other like supplemental materials, some extracurricular things that you can put in, but that's kind of pulled from your CV as well. So there'll be that you have to put in like, um, I believe like how many education hours and certain other little little tidbits of information in that application, but that won't come until November. So we kind of want to just focus on the things that you can do in September and October to kind of prepare you for November. So the first thing we wanted to talk to you about is the CV. So Sean, do you have any advice to those listening on how to best prepare their CV in advance? Best way to prepare a CV is to um, talk to upperclassmen, talk to preceptors, talk to any pharmacist you know, especially if you know anyone who's like a RPD or someone who's even done the residency route, have them go over your CV. Tell them, hey, I'm trying to do a residency. Can you please be brutally honest and give me good feedback? Um, that's something that I did, and it really helped me get a good structure and a good feel and a good wording and good overall organization of all my different um, subheadings and content of my CV. Um, also what I've found to be helpful is also look at other people's CVs. Um, a lot of your professors, their CVs, even though they're kind of on a different um, level in their pharmacy career, so their different headings and um, things like that are gonna be different the way they organize their CVs, but you can kind of get a feel of how things are situated. Also ask upperclassmen, some people don't mind just showing you an old CV, things like that. That helped me a lot. Um, especially when I was structuring, trying to look at 
how to word my different presentations and things like that. That helped me a lot. Um, another thing that one of the upperclassmen told me to do was to write, put my CV in table format where you sort of make everything into two different columns. That way you can sort of left indent things and then right indent in the other columns. You can put um, maybe a volunteering activity on the left side and on the right side, you can have the dates you did that or something. So I, I would do that for the whole entire CV. And then I would know that all my intentions were all correct throughout. And there was no teetering from that because my whole structure was consistent. So that's something you can look up on YouTube or if you want to ask, you can reach out to me and I'll definitely show you how to do that to make your, your CV as well formatted. So that's some advice I have on the CV. Anything yeah. different you did, Joven? Or? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a little bit different than what I did. But one thing I was going to say that I, that I love that you mentioned, and I think it's very important. I want to harken back to one of our episodes with Mai. It was about the fellowship episode. And on that episode, she was talking about how she had a person who works in industry pharmacy, look at her CV and kind of tear it apart and be like, hey, this is great if you're applying for a residency, but it's not great if you're applying for industry. So that's something I want you to keep in mind. Like you can ask your teachers and your preceptors and and your RPDs, the RPDs of a residency site, if you're able to gain um, a relationship with them um, via having rotations there, you can always do that. But just keep in mind, you kind of want them to be in the field that you're interested in, you know? So if there may be more of an of an AmCare pharmacist and you want to apply to something inpatient, the stuff that they might tell you to have on your CV or how you should format it might be a little bit different than somebody who's more inpatient. They could tell you what should really be on it and what should it. So that's something to keep in mind and to also just keep in mind that when it comes to your interview day, anything that's on your CV is fair game. So you also you want to make sure you know you have great material on there. But you also want to make sure you're comfortable talking about whatever material is on your CV because they could ask you potentially anything that's on it. So that's just something I do want you to keep in mind. There are other alternatives or avenues that you can use to get help with your CV um, besides other pharmacists, besides like um, your teachers, as Sean said, fellow classmates, et cetera. ASHP does allow you to do this, but I believe the date to submit it is like February or March. Um, around that time, you need to submit your CV. So if it's upcoming, if you're resident, residency, you're applying for a residency for this upcoming year, then this wouldn't be best for you. But for those of you listening that are three PDs or two PDs, think about that. Think about maybe sending in your application to the ASHP free CV review between February 24th to March 19th is, was for this year. So next year in 2022 is probably going to be around the same time, I would assume. So that's something that you could use. And you can also use um, services. You could pay for services to help you. Um, I certainly did that with um, student to doctor. That's something that I could go ahead and put in the show notes as well as the ASHP um, link for the, to submit a fr- um, your CV for a free review. And so you can use um, some services as well to kind of help you go through it because this is important, you know. You don't want something, a small error on your CV because you want to make sure everything is punctual. Everything is incorrect grammar. Um, you don't have indents off because that could bother some people. <laughs> All right. That could literally bother some RPDs. And it's like, oh, one thing is off on your CV that rubs them the wrong way. So you don't want anything to, to hurt you. Okay. So, and it's something that, you know, this is a job you're searching for. So you should definitely feel comfortable paying for a service that's affordable to you 
to help you try to be the best candidate you could possibly be. Other than that, I would say that's all services, pharmacists, pharmacists that work in the career you're interested in applying for. You can also use HHP um, and fellow colleagues. You know, you could always reach out to them to have them kind of take a peek at your CV. Maybe they'll notice something that's out of whack or incorrect grammar. So that way you can have a different set of eyes look at it besides your own. And um, just keep in mind, once again, that anything on your CV is fair game. So if there's things that you don't feel that confident about or comfortable talking about, then I would recommend removing it just because they could potentially ask you about that on your interview day. And now that I'm, now that I'm thinking about this, uh, Sean, how long was your CV? Because I know length can also be a problem with, with some people. Mine was actually really long. Yours was long? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I had a, so I had my original version that I submitted to my earlier deadlines. I, so some people like to write down like at the end, sort of like all the volunteering events and stuff they did. Yeah. And I did that. And I think mine was like maybe like seven and a half pages or something like that. And then I was like, then my later deadlines, so you, you can submit like multiple CVs and like write down which ones you're sending to certain programs through yeah. forecast. I made it up to date when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to delete this section and maybe like if there are important events, I'll add them to my leadership positions that I did with those volunteering events or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I did that. And I think maybe I was like around like six pages, I think, which is still pretty long, but yeah. I had a lot of public speaking and a lot of like panel of like, uh, like appearances and stuff. So I felt like I didn't feel like I was fluffing anything. Like I felt like I had genuine content. So that's something I will also say, make sure what you're putting in there is genuine content. Like if you just, if you're doing minimal effort or you can't write a bullet point that shows like leadership in something you're doing or purpose, then you're probably just adding length and it's not going to do you any good. But yeah. How long was yours, Jovan? Mine, I, I want to say when I started, it was probably seven or eight pages. Yeah. And then it went down to about five because I cut out something. I felt like it was fluff, like you mentioned. And then certain things with the format, like just spacing too much, having too much white space, trying to close um, some of the spacing and, and just changing the font could also help you shorten your CV. Because yeah. I didn't want it to be like, oh my gosh, like, all right, we get it. <laughs> you know, it's like seven pages in and you're just like, all right, we get it. So that's something that I also want to mention because I, I was told that by um, current residents and people who who've done a residency that make sure your CV is about like five or six pages max. You don't want to go to like the seven or eights because we don't want to read that much. You know, yeah. you want to make it easy for them to read. Um, you want to make sure certain things are bolded or, or kind of stands out. So it's easy for them to get to as far as far as the different sections. So there's like, there's so much that goes into this. That's why we really recommend you don't just do this by yourself. I think that's the key thing is, you know, don't just edit the CV on your own. That's it. You're good. No, definitely have a preceptor, a pharmacist um, that works in the, in the career you're interested in applying for. Use ASHP, um, student to doctor, do whatever you can to kind of to get some help to either help narrow down your CV, improve the content within it, make it the most presentable CV possible. So that's, that's basically it. Try to keep it. I, I believe I was told try to keep it less than six pages. But I mean, if you have that much great stuff, then by all means, I think it's fine. But the thing is, when people get to seven pages or eight, it's usually a lot of fluff. So just make sure you have a lot of general Next, uh, we'll talk to you guys about the letter of recommendation. But before I do that, I actually want to go back to something Sean said. 
when you're using the forecast application, like Sean said, you can actually upload multiple CVs. You can upload more than three letter of recommendations. You can upload more than one letter of intent. Kind of think of, think of it like Google Drive or a cloud. So you just upload your things in there. And when you're specifically going to apply for the program, that's when you select which one of the CVs you want, which letter of intent you want, et cetera, et cetera. So you can just upload multiple things to that cloud, basically, which is forecast. And then from there, collect and um, which ones you want to send to a specific uh, residency that you're applying to. And, and make sure, so there's going to be like a drop-down menu, like Joven's saying, for each yeah. of these things you're turning in. Make sure you label the files you're uploading appropriately. You don't want to send a letter of intent to Advent Health that you wrote for a different hospital. And then a different yeah. program director gets that. And then they're like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. So make sure you definitely upload things and label them correctly. That's definitely huge. So a lot of these documents, they can slightly benefit to you if you like do really great on them. But if you do really bad on them, especially the, your CV or your, um, your letter of intent, then you could possibly like um, get put in the do not interview pile. So definitely, definitely like we're stressing, like have people go over these documents. Yeah, so, definitely. So. And um, when we get to the letter of intent, we can, we can talk about a, a story that, that we have, but for the letter of recommendations, like I said earlier, it's usually at least three. And yeah. because usually one of the ones they recommend is from a professor or someone from academia, ask early, especially if it's one of those really nice professors that everybody loves and everybody has a great relationship with because everybody's going to ask that professor and they will have a maximum amount of people that they will take yeah that they will take and write a love you yeah exactly and write a letter of recommendation even if they love you they'll be like hey i told myself i'm only going to do 25 letter recommendations you're the 26th person to ask i'm sorry i can't do that so that's some and it's happened to us (laughs) so like please take this advice and know that we're serious when we mean that ask early don't wait i would say ask as early as september if you know the word is good yeah, if you know the the individuals you want to ask, especially for the academia part, ask in September. And that's one of the key things I think is also beneficial is if you already have your CV done well in, in September, then whenever you ask them, they say, yeah, just send me your CV and um, we can have a phone call or whatever and kind of discuss things, your goals, what are your aspirations. Your CV is already perfect and you don't have to go through it and work it out and edit it and all that and then send it to them. All right, you want this to be as quick as possible so that way they can get it done as quick as possible so you're not waiting when you actually have to send in your application for that letter of recommendation. So the earlier you can get started on this, the better. Do not wait until November yes. when that application opens. Trust us, you don't want to go especially, especially if it's faculty. Like, yeah. like a professor, you need to ask in September. Yeah. Um, if you're more worried about preceptors and stuff, those you can sort of ask as you do the rotations or your rotations are coming to an end. So I want to be too panicked on those. Just make sure they are aware of your deadlines. So here's a question for you, Joven. So you want to ask for a letter of recommendation. How should you word that? That is huge. So what's your opinion on that? That is a great question. Personal experience, I didn't really ask for, <laughs> for the letters of recommendations. It kind of just happened. Okay. how i would it's like joe but i will write you a letter don't worry <laughs> no because it was like oh if you need a letter of recommendation i'll write you one i was like oh thanks <laughs> i was like that that makes my life easy and then another preceptor told me the same thing and then i was just like oh so will you write me one and then 
that person was just like, yeah. And I was like, oh, perfect. Okay. So yeah, that was, that was my two. It very, it was a end of rotation recap. And they were just like, oh, if you need one, I can write one for you. And I was like, I do need one. So will you? Yeah. So it just went like that. But how I would ask is I would ask for a strong letter, a strong positive letter of recommendation. Because if you're not specific with your words, words matter. All right. Get, know this. For the forecast, words matter. From the CV to the letter of recommendation to the letter of your words matter. So when you're asking for a letter of recommendation, if you're not specifically asking for a strong or positive one, there are some people out there that will write you a letter of recommendation and write you a bad one. And from what I hear, that really hurts your residency chances because based how a lot of programs look at a candidate, it's a point-based program. So what that means is let's say it's 100 points. Let's say um, you have to have a minimum of 80 for them to consider you for an interview, right? And one of the things they would weigh is how does a person, how did the person who wrote the letter of recommendation write about them, write about this student, and how highly did they think of them? Would they take them as a resident? Um, would they want to work with this person again? Do they feel this person could handle a residency? You know, those type of things they're going to want to know and get an answer from. And if that person is being honest, because their reputation is on the line, so they have to be honest. And if you don't ask them for a positive, strong letter of recommendation, it could burn you when it comes to applying to these places. Because you could ask for a letter of recommendation. You could think you have a great relationship with this person. And then they didn't write the most positive letter of recommendation. And now you're kind of screwed. So that's something that I would definitely make sure is specific. Like um, I would ask for a strong, positive letter of recommendation. And I would... I personally kind of, I asked people that I knew thought highly of me because they told me that. If they didn't tell me that, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. But since they did, it made my life easy. But what about you, Sean? Um, I would say I definitely had some people that would like, they were like knew I was doing, um, like pursuing a residency. And then sort of at my final evaluation for APPE, they'd be like, I would love to write you a letter. I think you're a great candidate. So those were easy. But then I had some people that like, they weren't as direct and be like, yeah, I think you'd be a good residency candidate. And I'd be like, then I would, then I would follow up with, all right, would you be willing to write me a strong letter of recommendation, highly recommending me for my residency programs? And if they said, sure, then I knew I was good. Cause I believe when they fill out the letter of recommendation, um, they have like a couple like sections where they like write like, um, like sentences, like describing you and things like that. But then at the, I believe it's the bottom. It's like recommend, don't recommend and then it's like highly recommend so you want people who are going to click highly recommend and then also expand upon why they're highly recommending you in the other um, subsections because if you just have someone who writes recommend then people are like all right well what's going on or if you have someone who doesn't recommend you like that's just as bad so that's definitely some things to keep in mind also i know we were stressing the traditional format of two letters from a preceptor and one from a faculty member um, or sometimes your supervisor at a job, like an internship. But definitely, definitely go to the actual hospital residency's website and see what they actually um, need. Some places just wanted three letters. They didn't care where they were from. Some places, um, and we're going to talk about letter of intent soon, but some places I applied to, they didn't want a letter of intent. They wanted you to do one of their own prompts or they wanted you to answer 10 questions about yourself and things like that. 
So definitely, definitely when you're about to start this process, first thing you should be thinking of is going to these websites and seeing what they actually, um, what they actually um, require you to do. Cause some are going to be very basic and just like, just do the forecast, do a forecast says be traditional. And some places are going to be like, no, we do it our way. So definitely, yeah. definitely um, keep track of those. And then last, the last thing I would say for the letter of recommendations is mm-hmm. we need at least three. So that told me to ask, like, I think I asked like eight people. I don't know if you need to ask that many. And it was awkward because I got seven yeses. <laughs> so that, that was awkward. I don't know if you need to ask that many people, but at least ask five. I'd recommend at least asking five. And whenever they write it in, what will happen is you'll put in their contact information into forecasts in November. So once, once you apply, you'll put in like their, their name, I believe their phone number, email, yep. and then you'll get emailed like a link to go ahead and submit a letter of recommendation. So it's not like they're going to write something out like a letter and then give it to you. They're going to submit it anonymously. You're not going to see what they put. So that's why we're talking about it's important that you understand the relationship and what they're going to say about you for that. But definitely try to ask at least five. And I would recommend trying to get at least four yeses. Um, Cause maybe, I don't know if this happened with you, Sean, but I know with me, it was, uh, I got yeses, but a couple, even though I got a lot of yeses, some people were kind of waiting to the last minute and that was making me sweat a little because I didn't want to be late with my submissions, but everything was turned in. So some people, some individuals that you ask will just get in the letter of recommendation immediately as soon as they get the email. Some people might take them longer. So that's why it just helps to ask as early as possible so they already know, especially if they've already written letter of recommendations, they know how the format is, what they need to say. So they can just work on it in advance. And then when November comes and you send them, you put in their information, they receive the link, they could just submit it ASAP, you know? So that's just something that could really work in your favor if you ask in September. And you don't ask three people, ask at least five. Yeah, definitely, definitely send those out as early as you can, save a lot of time. And then also um, make sure you, like you email them or you include in the invitation to write you a letter what you're, when you need them to do by. Like if you have an actual, like your first deadlines, maybe like the first of January, maybe you tell people like, Hey, like I need it done. Like five, like give them like a deadline that's before your actual deadlines or something that way you have like some wiggle room. I, I believe I did um, December 31st, but I believe my earliest application was due the January 3rd or January 4th. Yeah, exactly. What, what I, but yeah, I forgot. And you that. also have, you also have that big holiday week in there too of Christmas and New Year's. So you want people ideally to submit before that because if deadlines, like some of my first deadlines were Christmas and the 1st of January. So that right there, like you need people to submit early. Also something to think about if you, let's say you had a rotation somewhere and you love that place and you know that's a place you want to interview for residency in, and you're getting your letter from like a pharmacist there or even like the residency program director there, I think it's maybe like, I don't know if it's like, I, I don't, I don't think you should be sending a letter that someone wrote you from that hospital to that hospital. No. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so definitely get more extra letters. So that way you don't send, cause I would not do that. Yeah. What you can do, cause I did this. So what you can do, let's say for example, you're applying to the Amcare of a hospital. You can use a letter of recommendation from an inpatient pharmacist, but you can't gotcha. use one from the Amcare pharmacy gotcha. or the like any of the Amcare pharmacists, the RPD, et cetera, et cetera. It's a conflict of interest. 
but you can use a letter of intent from a, another pharmacist that works there just as long as they're not Amcare pharmacists. And it's vice versa too. If, if you're applying for the inpatient residency, you can't get a letter of recommendation from one of the inpatient pharmacists, but you can ask one from the pharmacist, from the Amcare pharmacist if they have one. So that's yeah. um, just something you can do, but you just can't use it if it's, if you're applying to the, to that specific residency and that's one of the pharmacists that work within that field. Yeah, so that's if they have two separate residencies, one like a normal traditional residency and then one in AMCARE. If they only have like a traditional residency, then you wouldn't even use a, um, a letter of recommendation, like from exactly. there, correct? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, you wouldn't. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's something I had to do for um, a couple of places I applied for. And so I was like, you know what, um, I'm just gonna get an extra one from somebody like from my job or something. Like that's, that's what I did. Yeah, and um, since you mentioned that, I think we should kind of discuss the type of people to ask. So I asked two preceptors. No, three. I asked three preceptors. I got another one from a faculty member. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I asked two pharmacists that I did research with. And I forgot who else I asked. So I asked like seven people. But that's just to give you an idea of the type of people you could ask. So it's like, all right, I have people that can attest to my work ethic, even in a different realm when it came to research. Like they could talk about maybe how quick I picked up on things, um, how hard I was willing to work, you know, being in a different setting and stuff like that. Then you have, of course, you could mention um, your preceptors and different people from academia. Um, oh, I, I also asked my faculty advisor for, for letter of recommendation. So that's like just to give you a couple different ideas of people you could ask for a letter of recommendation um, that I think that would be great resources. So maybe a pharmacist that you worked under, somebody you did research with, if you did a lot of research, um, faculty advisor, a teacher that you have a good rapport with, and um, some preceptors, of course. And don't feel bad to like go back in time and ask like a hippie preceptor or a kippy one you know if you have a great relationship with the preceptor definitely feel free feel comfortable asking one of them yeah like so for me in addition like i got i don't know if you said this but like i got like my um my pharmacy manager to write me a letter and then i actually had my my career coach write me a letter of recommendation because oh. they were someone who's like higher up in a field that i'm highly interested in and it's someone who i like had a relationship for multiple years and they know my work ethic and we would meet and like talk about like a lot of like our pharmacy journey and like life. And so I feel like that was a good person to ask. So that's the route I went from. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And um, that's another person you can ask to help with your CV. I, I asked mine, mine was, mine worked in the industry. So she did provide me a caveat like, hey, I do work in industry, so it's a bit different. But if you plan on applying for a fellowship, this is what I would do. But she also did do a residency. So she was like, I think this would, this would, how it would be if you're doing a fellowship. This is how I would recommend if you're doing a residency. Cause I, at that point in time, I was still a bit unsure. So it's like um, a career coach could definitely also be a, a valuable resource to get a letter of recommendation or to view your CV if they have that type of experience. Last or two more sections, two more things. Next letter of intent. Ooh, a letter of intent. Yeah. Probably the most problematic the one, yes, the one section we all dread. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the best writer, but that's just something that we all got to do. I know you gave me a lot of great tips <laughs> for, for helping me write my letter of intent. So I'm going to defer to you, Sean, and let, let you take over this one. 
Oh, no, I should, I should pull up my letter. But just in general, when you write your letter, there's a, like, there's like, um, there's not, a, like, there was not a set format you have to do, but there's more of like a traditional, like, flowy way to do it. Um, so normally you have like your intro paragraph, like a lot of people will write that like standard opening. Um, I don't have my letter up right now, so I, um, <laughs> you can do like, 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 um, like dear so-and-so and so I'm writing to express my sincere interest in blankety blanks, PGY1 residency program, uh, things like that. And then you kind of go on like, and then I would sort of like do that, like it's more traditional opener and then you can follow it up with, um, and learning about your program through um, attending um, ASHP's mid-year or through attending your residency showcase, things like that. So that's when you would drop that like initial point of contact. And then you would expand like what you learn from that experience and why you're interested in the program to lead in. And then like your next paragraph, what I would do is kind of talk about the hospital and the, the residency program itself and why I'm interested in this program specifically. And then my next paragraph would kind of go into more of like my interests, my goals, then kind of like mirror it with what I just said about their program and kind of show that they align. And then like my last paragraph, I believe what I did was I would talk about like my life experiences and like my skills and how I'm excited for the program and kind of just make myself sound credible. Like there's a reason why like I'm applying for this. There's, here's the things that I've done, um, but make the things that I've done sink it more like I've learned like these skills things like that. And then lastly, just thank them. So that's like a broad overview of things like that. There were some programs where I did untraditionally, like in the beginning, which I was kind of worried about. I was like, I need to just go for it, but I got an interview, so it worked. But Yeah. I, it, you know, it's interesting because it was like half of my sites, I think were due on one day and half later, I kind of did two different styles of CVs. So I kind of did one half. I don't remember which half was like was which, but I applied to 10 places. I only got five interviews. So one half didn't, <laughs> didn't like my CV. <laughs> I don't remember if it was the traditional or the untraditional, but yeah, like I sent half of it untraditional and the other half like traditional where Sean was kind of talking about like that intro, that opening line that's kind of standard. Um, second paragraph, just discussing why this hospital what's so special about them, why you're interested in them. Third, kind of just going over my goals. And then the last, life like life experiences, your excitement, different things like that. I want to say it was the traditional route that worked in my favor, but I, I don't recall right now, honestly, off the top of my head. But that's something where, you know, you definitely want to make sure you have a strong letter of intent and you do not want to have errors. I know we were told a story by someone who misspelled the RPD's name. So the RPD was just like, no, like I'm not even gonna look at this patient's application. So if there's one thing to make sure you do with your letter of intent is do not misspell that RPD's name. And make sure you send it to the right program. Yes. I've heard stories from, I've heard that story. Also heard of stories where people incorrectly labeled their files. So instead of sending um, a letter to um, a certain hospital, they sent a different hospital's letter to that person. So it's like a totally different yeah. letter. And that just shows that you're irresponsible. So. 
yep. definitely be organized with everything. And if you're gonna use like, so there's some sections where like, probably like your last section or like maybe some like, there's like some sections where you're gonna like reuse the wording, like when it's not specific to that hospital or like specific to your experience with the preceptor or RPD there, you're gonna probably re reuse a lot of your stuff. So if you need to reuse like probably your last paragraph, you wanna make sure like, oh, I'm excited for this residency at Advent Health Tampa. Well, if you're gonna copy that, you need to make sure you're changing the Advent Health Tampa part if you're gonna be using it again. Because like those are some things, some like there's a few people who don't catch that and then it ends up biting them, so. Did you, did you just have one kind of standard CV and then just change some things around or did you write a new one for each site? It really depended on the site. So I would say my, uh, I had two different intros I was using. One is kind of like my, um, like the standard one that I was doing. And the other one was like a self quote. That's sort of like my mission statement that I wrote for myself. And then I would kind of say that and be like, I believe this, like, I would kind of like flip it and be like, when hearing about your program, like I'm kind of like, I get aligned with like what your program is focused on things like that. So that's what I did. But then a lot of like, like my last paragraph, like where I talk about like my life lessons and things through pharmacy and stuff that I've done, I would reuse. But the whole why your hospital section, yeah, I would always write maybe like the structure was similar, but like everything was still like brand new. Because I wanted to look up like if this place was super strong in cardiology, well, I'm just going to talk about that. I'm super like, like you guys are level one trauma center. You guys do open heart surgeries. These guys do cabbages. You guys do like PCIs. You guys do it all. Like you guys are like, um, like a big transplant center. Like just like, I'll just like talk, kind of like talk about the program. And then, yeah. yeah. Then my goal is I would make sure to align with that as well. And I'm like, maybe if they were like, had really good electives and something, I would be like, I'm really excited to learn about this. Um, thing. I feel like this is like an opportunity in psychology or pain management that not a lot of residency programs offer. And those are some areas that I feel like it's really highly beneficial for pharmacists in any career field to grasp. So I'm excited to get, yeah, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would say I was kind of on the same lines. Like I said, it, I had kind of two different CV formats, one traditional, one traditional, but mainly the first and last paragraph was pretty similar across those like five sites I applied to. And then the goals may be similar depending on what additional stuff that residency had to offer. Some things might've been changed or the type of residency it was because I didn't only apply to Amcare residencies. And then also like definitely like why that hospital, that definitely had to change um, as far as the different reasons why I wanted to apply there. So really it's, it's the middle paragraphs that would probably change a lot. I don't think it's bad if you kind of use a similar CV. I think we all kind of do that in some way, shape, or form. You just want to make sure it feels to the reader like it's personal to them. So that's where it helps to have another person kind of look it over. Once again, preceptors, a career coach, an RPD maybe, a current resident, different resources that you could use that, that you can do to help. I know I definitely reached out to, to friends to look it over. I also use like student to doctor to kind of help me go over to make sure my point was coming across because I didn't want it to be too wordy. Definitely keep it within one page. Um, that can be kind of difficult for some people. So some advice I was always giving was definitely make sure it stayed to one page and 
that's something where it's like using resources like students adopt or using your friends that will really help you tremendously because a lot of times it's like, Oh, I don't want to ask others for help. I don't want to pay this, that, but it's like, Hey, if you don't match, that means you have to go to phase two. And do you want to go to phase two? Probably not. So why not put your best foot forward in the beginning? So I think it's key to do whatever you can to try to get the best letter of intent possible and to really make yours stand out because they're going to be reading. I think there was one place I applied to, I didn't interview, but I think they told me they had 126 applicants and I was like the most they've ever had. So imagine reading 126 letter of intent. All right. <laughs> you got to stand out. Or if you don't stand out, at least um, make sure you have, you know, great quality within your within your letter of intent. So that's stuff to definitely consider uh, going forward and try to keep it a one page, like I said. Yeah. And another thing I would say, I know there was some controversy from different people, but I know certain, some of my friends that were at different um, residency sites, I didn't apply to those places, but they told me that they know like some locations care if you sign or you don't sign. So I put my signature at the bottom of my letter. Did you put yours, Sean? Yeah, I did too. I signed in like ink and then like I sort of like took a picture of it and I had like a file like in um, like Word. So I would like put it in and then make it. Oh, then also make sure you're submitting everything as a PDF as well. Yeah, yeah. Submit it. Try to keep it a one page. Um, get your signature on it. I think I just use like Adobe or whatever on my yeah, surface. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Just sign it and then just put it in there. But there's different ways to do it. But I would recommend last at the end of the page to definitely put in your signature, keep it to one page and do not, do not, do not, do not misspell the RPD's name or the hospital's name. Don't misspell yeah. one of those. That's, that matters. But other than that, just listen to Sean because Sean's the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have any questions on this, uh, definitely uh, yeah. reach out to me. Oh, and then also make sure you have like your like that like the beginning part. You have like the RPD's name followed by their um, credentials, like PharmD, BCCP, um, BCPS, and then like the hospital hospital address, and then start with, like dear doctor, so yeah. and so. And then when you sign um I, I would just write like sincerely i would insert my signature and i'd write my name farm d candidate of this year and yeah. under that i would write university of florida college of pharmacy or whatever school you're attending so yeah right. so anybody with letter intent questions don't ask me <laughs> <laughs> you, you can ask me but uh don't 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 last minute ask me because letter of intent is the biggest process luckily for uf we had all of December off pretty much. And I think that I just spent revising my letters. Like it is going to take you the longest time. Yeah. And it takes a lot longer than you think. So that's something if you know, let's say you're unsure about all the hospitals you want to, you want, want to apply to, but if you know at least one or two, just get start writing on that letter of intent. And I didn't take advantage of this. I should have, I was lazy. That's my bad. But one of my preceptors was actually willing to look over my letter of intent and kind of work on it with me. But I just, I was doing way too much that rotation. So I just didn't have the time. Um, not with that rotation, but just like outside work. Cause I was doing two different jobs, but that's something that, you know, if that's offered to you, definitely try to get that done early or at least get a rough draft, you know, so you can get some feedback and you can see the different things that 
that pharmacist or, or resident would recommend for you to do. But Sean's the guy for letter of intent. If you ask me, I'm just gonna direct you to other people <laughs> because that's not my forte. But um, I'll definitely direct you to somebody that can help. But just, you can't ask us last minute. You know, if you're asking us in September and October, we can try to help you um, as best we can. And then the last thing, which might be one of the most important things, because unfortunately I do know some, a couple people that were impacted by this um, is transcripts. Now the transcripts cannot be sent in until the forecast application opens up. And if you remember, I said earlier that that process will not open until November. So as soon as it opens, I want you to go ahead and log in, start setting everything up, putting in your information, create your account and send your transcript as soon as possible. I had friends that wanted to wait just because, oh, um, our rotations GPA isn't in yet. Like my GPA will be higher. Do not wait. Get that in as soon as possible and you can always resend it. And it's only like what? Somewhere between five to $15 for you to send your transcript. So just resend it in later on, but get it in as quick as possible. And the reason is because um, I know of someone who had issues getting theirs in on time. Actually, I, I know two people who had issues getting theirs in on time. And because of that, that impacted their whole match process. They weren't able to get interviews. Uh, the transcripts were too late. These residency programs were like, hey, we can't wait any longer for you to get your transcripts in. Sorry, got to move on to other candidates. So you could literally have dotted all your, like crossed all your T's, dotted all your I's and have your letter of intent done, your letter of recommendation done in advance. You can have the CV prepped, ready to go. Everything's ready to go, but your transcripts were not sent in on time. And that could be what stops you. So definitely, 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 as soon as November comes around, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, get in those transcripts, all right? And then just resubmit it later when it has the, the new grades from the rotations um, that'll make you happy just because if it's not in on time, these residency programs will move on. And it takes at least maybe, what, a week for them to receive it and a week as far as business days. So I know what you're thinking. Well, November's plenty of time. Hold on, hold on. Let's think about this. In November, you have Thanksgiving. Holidays will impact the mail service. We also had to deal with COVID, so that also impacted the mail service. And then, all right, in December, what do we have? We have Christmas, and we also have New Year's coming, um, New Year's Eve and New Year's for January. So it's like you have all these things coming right before the residency program's due dates. So if you're waiting too long, it just won't be sent in on time. The other thing you need to think about is, hey, you're requesting this transcript from school. When does your school shut down? I think ours shut down in like December 18th or 19th. So if you don't get your transcript sent in before December 18th or 19th, if you don't apply for that, for that to get in before then, it won't get sent until after school starts again, which might not be until January 5th, 6th, 7th. And now you missed out on potential residency programs just because your transcripts weren't sent in. Yeah. So that's why it's important to get it in as early as possible. And then you'll see whether or not it's been approved. And, and the issue with these people, it's not that they waited, but that the transcripts were never received. They sent it in once, they never received it. It's been more than a week or two. So they send it in again, and then it's been 
another two weeks, they never received it, but they thought it was sent in, but there is a way to check it. So you just want to double check in the forecast application if your transcript was received, all right, because that's important. If it's not there, they can't prove that you are like an eligible candidate, so they got to move on. Yeah, so definitely send them early as you can, because like Jovan's saying, it's going to take them a week or so to receive it. But then there's that whole processing time on their end where they actually have to, they're going to get a whole backlog of every single candidate from all over the country trying to apply to forecast. Yeah. So the earlier, the better. Exactly. Sure. So think about it. It's, it's probably thousands of, of different letters are getting sent to one place and they have to go through and open it's not electronic mail. You know, it's not an email, it's legit mail. So they have to open up every package and go through and probably scan and upload all of this to a software and verify things. So that's going to take time. So it might take a week for them to receive it and then another week for them to process it. So if you wait until the middle of November, and if I, if you were listening, I talked about Thanksgiving, that could add another four or five days because I don't know when forecast closes for Thanksgiving. I don't know how many days they give off. You know, I don't know when your school closes for Thanksgiving and when they start up again. So that could add another five to 10 days on top of it. So now you're waiting three weeks to see whether or not if you received it. Okay, you didn't receive it. Now you got to do it again. And now you're waiting, you know, and it's been a couple, two or three weeks. And now you're close to Christmas and the school's already closed. And there's nothing you can do now. So it's like as soon as that application opens, please, 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 if there's anything you do not want to wait last minute for it is to get your transcripts in so definitely 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 send in your transcripts pay for it i think for us it was like five to fifteen dollars it wasn't expensive just resend it again in december make sure it's been sent it's been received there's a way to check that definitely go into the to the forecast application and make sure your transcripts were received because if it's not that's going to really really hurt you in the end and then i think that's it for this episode what do you think? Do you think there's anything we left out, Sean? I think we had a good encompassing overview of everything. Um, again, like I'm sure you have a bunch of unique situations that apply to yourself or um, specific questions maybe that you have that we didn't cover. You can definitely reach out to us. Um, you can find us on our Instagram at Capsule Pod, Capsule Production, sorry, at a Capsule Production. Um, you can find our link tree there. You can find my information, Joven's information. Or you can uh, just DM our Instagram page there if you feel like it. And we'll definitely, definitely do the best that we can to address any questions or concerns you have in this process. But definitely start early and often. Definitely research all your programs and see any specific requirements they have. Definitely the earlier the better um, on your letter of intent. Make sure you can get that revised as much as possible. CVs. um, Definitely, if you're listening and you're maybe like a first year, second year, or beginning of your, your third year, it's easier if you can just add things to your CV as you go, rather than just doing all, all, all uh, four years of pharmacy school all at once. Mm-hmm. So definitely try to do it as you go. Yeah, and uh, a little tidbit that I do, I reevaluate things every three months. I kind of look at it as like the season, summer, fall, August, winter. So you can either do it at the beginning or at the end. Um, It's up to you. But for me, I do at the beginning of each season. So once summer came around, I decided to redo my CV, like see what was missing. What should I add? How should I change it? So that's something that I recommend is like every three months, you could do it sooner if you want. 
but every three months I actually go in and change my CV. But whenever an experience happens, I have like a, a note on my iPhone where I just like put in, or I just have a list of different CV events that I either hosted or were a part of the outcome. I just write down some quick information so I don't forget it. And then when um, winter comes around, when summer, spring, fall comes around, I'm like, all right, now I know I have to edit my CV and just add in all the things that I put into my note. But that's just something personally I do. Maybe that'll help you guys out. If not, you know, just find what works for you, but don't wait until the end to, to really try to edit it. You should have a, a process to where you're able to edit constantly every three months, two months, one month, et cetera, et cetera. And also um, just want to make sure you guys know that everything we talked about, different websites, um, student to doctor, ACHP's free website, we'll put in the show notes. If there's other resources that we feel could be beneficial, we'll put in the, sh in the show notes for you guys. So you could just see that in the description and just pull it up and use it to your advantage because we just want to help you guys have as easy as possible of a process for your road to, to residency. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. And like Sean said, you can find us on, on Capsule Production. Link trees there. Feel free to message either one of us. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Please tune into our next uh, episodes on this road to residency. Thank you.